Welcome again to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our study through God's Word. If you're looking for a church to call your own, let me invite you to join us for worship at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have questions about the church, you can actually visit calvaryfayetteville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. Now on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message entitled, Look Carefully How You Walk or Guidelines and Guardrails, taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Let's listen together. But let me begin by asking you this question. Have you ever driven a narrow two-lane highway through the mountains? And I, I'm not talking about the hills of Arkansas. I'm talking about mountains, the kind that you find in Colorado or Idaho or New Mexico or even parts of California. I know that Jason and Jana certainly have, and perhaps you have as well. Well, if you have, there are two things that you find yourself very thankful for. First of all, for the guidelines that are there in the highway. And you trust and you hope that others will pay attention to those even as you do. You know the, the line that carefully and accurately marked the center of the highway and the sides of the highway. Imagine what life would be like even down in the flatlands if there were no guidelines on the highway. Every man and woman would do what was right in their own eyes, right? And in fact, we have enough of that in the world today as it is. So we need the guidelines. We need the markers. But also, when you're driving those mountain roads, you are thankful for a second thing, and that is the guardrails. Those guardrails along the side of the road where you can look over and sometimes cannot even see the bottom of the canyon that is beside you. You're thankful for those guardrails. I have a very vivid memory of a number of years ago when uh, my wife and I lived and served on an Indian reservation in Washington State. And we had gone home, come back to Arkansas for the holidays, and we were traveling back uh, to Washington. And because of blizzards across the middle part of the country, we swung way around to the south and came up through California and came up even the coast of California. And we didn't have any children at that time. It was just Tony and myself, and we had a Volkswagen van. We were hippies. Now listen, we had two of those over the years, and I wish I had either one of them back today. But we were traveling on one of those narrow mountain roads going from the coast of California over into the mainland part of California and into Oregon. And we were traveling this canyon that followed this raging river thousands of feet below. And the guardrail consisted of a rock wall that was about that high. And my wife was on the outside and sitting in one of those vans. You know, you have nothing in front of you. 
and you look down beside you, and it seemed like every curve would just kind of swing out over that edge, and, and she would yell, and she would scream, and she would move to the middle and, and try to get out of her seat, thinking that I was going to run us over the side. Well, guardrails and guidelines, we need them both in our lives, do we not? Now, I've titled this message, Look Carefully How You Walk, because that's the way Paul described it as he began in this chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians. But I think maybe uh, guidelines and guardrails serves as a, as a better title, because in this passage, I'm going to name for you three guidelines God gives to us in how to live the Christian life. And then with each one, he's going to give a couple of guardrails. A guideline to say, live this way, and a guardrail or two to say, don't do this. Watch out for this. Stay away from this. But before we get into it, may I remind you of what Jesus said towards the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember these words when he said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. That's where the multitude is. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Are you a part of the few? Are you a part of the minority that has found the narrow gate, has found the, the narrow road that is sometimes hard and is sometimes difficult, the one that leads to life? You want to end up in hell? Go the easy way. Go the way everyone else is going. You want to end up in heaven you want to end up with Christ, then watch for the narrow gate. Watch for that hard road that Jesus provides for you and is willing to walk with you. It has some guidelines and it has some guard rails. Now, verse 1 of chapter 5 begins like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And that first sentence is basically the message of everything that he's going to say after that. Therefore, therefore, because of the great mercies he has described in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Therefore, because of the riches and the blessings he has lavished upon us. Paul says in chapter 1, Therefore, because he has called you out of your deadness, you were dead in your sins. We were all dead because of our trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, because he has resurrected us, quickened us, made us alive in Christ, and created a whole new humanity of Jews and Gentiles, of people across all racial barriers and cultures. He has created one new race 
of people, a new humanity, Christians, people who know Christ. Therefore, because of all of that, because of the new life we have in Christ, because of the unity we have with one another, be imitators of God as His beloved children. Now, folks, that's the message. We like to just take that and go home with it. I'll go ahead and say prayer and we can be dismissed. Because that's the message. Be imitators of Christ. Do you understand that? Do you embrace that? Do you accept that? Are you willing to do that? To be an imitator means to be a follower. To be a follower of Christ. The new believers, this new humanity in the book of Acts, were called Christians initially as a derogatory, critical term. Basically, it means little Christs. You're just being like Jesus. You're just being little Christs. And yet, that is who we are supposed to be, imitators of Him. Well, I'm going to take it that maybe that's not enough. Let's flesh it out a little bit and stay a little bit longer. Point number one, guideline number one. What does he say? He says to walk in love. To be an imitator of God, to be a follower of Christ, means to walk in love. And he fleshes that out and describes it in verses 2 through 6. Notice, first of all, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love, the number one marker for the people of God should be that we are people who show and live the love of Christ in our lives. Now, I'm sad to say that in many churches, in fact, in most churches, you don't see a whole lot of that. You see a whole lot of self-love. You see a whole lot of, of self-centeredness among people that when things don't go their way, that when things don't please them, as we've talked about in recent weeks, they tend to just scatter or go different ways or get offended. But there's, there's this command that we are to walk in love. It's how we imitate God. It's how we show that we are God's children. And that's not left up to us to try to define any way we want to define it. What does it mean to walk in love? He says this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He did so as a fragrant offering to God and a sacrifice to his heavenly Father. So God's love, the kind of love we're supposed to have for him and for one another, is a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives up my rights in order for you to be blessed. It's a love that causes me to sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources, not for some grand cause, but for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that the church, whether small or large, should be marked should be marked by a sacrificial love that the members have 
for one another. Now, folks, listen to me. For people in the world around us who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, for them to see the love of God, and they do need to see it, not just read about it, they need to see it in action. The only place they can see that is by looking to local churches like Calvary Baptist Church. And to see, do these people love each other? Do they give themselves away in a selfless, sacrificial way like Christ did? That's how we are supposed to live. Now that's the first guideline. That's the first marker that we are supposed to take alignment from in our lives. Walk in love. Now he gives two or three guardrails, some warnings marking some boundaries that we are not to cross because if we do, we're going to go off the side of the mountain, all right? He gives us some guardrails beginning in verse 3. Verse 3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So the first guardrail is this. Abstain from immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Three things. Don't cross this barrier. Don't go over this rail. Stay inside the boundaries. Stay in your lane, Christian. All right? That's what he's saying to us. Abstain from immorality. You know what the word here is in the Greek language? It's the word pornea. And it's where we get our word pornography. And specifically, it has reference to fornication, to evil, sinful, immoral behavior. Abstain from that. But also abstain from impurity. Is he just saying the same thing here? No, this impurity has to do with lewdness or impurity of our motives. Not just what we do with our bodies, but what we think and what motivates us in our minds. The impurity within leads to the pornea without. And he says, abstain from immoral behavior abstain from an impurity of your motives. And then he throws in covetousness. Now, what is covetousness? Do you know what it means to be covetous? The Bible tells us thou shalt not covet. It means to have a, a disproportionate desire for stuff, for things particularly for things that don't belong to you. I used to have a girlfriend. <laughs> Careful where your thoughts go. I used to have a girlfriend when, when we were teenagers, and I didn't have my own car, so I drove my mom and dad's car uh, for a couple of years. And it was huge. It was a big green Pontiac. It's the kind that would go 90 miles an hour down the interstate and you wouldn't even feel anything. It would just glide over the pavement. But it was an awful car to date in. Pull up in your girlfriend's house in that big green Pontiac executive. And so I had this obsession. I wanted a car of my own. 
I wanted a, a, a Plymouth Roadrunner. I wanted a Pontiac Firebird. Man, I had a long list. And, and I, would, I would see other cars, and I would say, man, I wish that was my car. And she would say, no, you don't want that one. You want one just like it. Because if you want that one, that's covetousness. You're coveting something that belongs to somebody else. Oh, I'd like, I, I wish that car was mine. No, you don't want that one, but you want one just like it, right? She is trying to reign, to reign in my desires, my covetousness. It's okay to want to do well in life. It's okay to want to live and have a comfortable lifestyle to make more money until you come to the place that it's disproportionate, that somehow it is inordinate, that somehow it begins to obsess you, that somehow it begins to control your thoughts, that somehow it causes you to begin to neglect what you should be doing with your money, with your time, with your finances, with your energies, and you start focusing them on getting more and getting more and getting more and never being satisfied. And he says that covetousness here somehow needs to be mentioned. The Holy Spirit inspired this, that covetousness is in the same list with fornication and impure motives and impure thought life. Why is that? Well, he's going to tell us a little bit later. But there's a sister passage to this over in Colossians chapter 3 that follows this chapter. They, they're very similar. They say a lot of the same things. And in chapter 3 of Colossians, listen to these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you've been born again, you've been raised from spiritual death in Christ, if that has been true and is true about you, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died. He's talking about a spiritual death of dying to self. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now listen to what he says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Sexual immorality. There it is again, pornea. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Now listen. And covetousness, which is what? Do you know? Idolatry. And covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, on account of sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires, and on account of covetousness, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Covetousness is idolatry. If you have any question in your mind about the seriousness of idolatry, just read the Old Testament. It is full of it. And it is full of God's people following idols. It is full of cases where the Israelites, the people of God, called out, singled out, preserved, and named as His 
bowed down to gods that were made out of carvings, out of stone, out of things of this earth. Their attention was not this way. Their attention was this way, and they worshiped what was around them. They were idolatrous, and you and I, Paul says, do the same thing when we are covetous. When we quit looking to God and start looking to things and stuff and the accumulation of stuff in order to be happy in this world. And so that's why he says in this first guardrail, abstain from immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Very quickly, let me give you another guardrail. It's found in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. All obscenity, foolish talk, and crudeness needs to be eliminated from your daily language. He's saying this is just a guardrail. Don't cross over that. It's dangerous. Instead, what comes out of your mouth should be thanksgiving to God and to others. Guardrail number three. Don't be foolish and unwise. Verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Of disobedience. Don't be foolish. Don't be unwise. Okay. So we are to walk in love. There are some things we abstain from. We abstain from impurity, and we abstain from immorality, and we abstain from covetousness, and we watch our language, and we're not naive and foolish and unwise to fall victims to the empty words, to the vain words, to the meaningless words of people around us. Got it? Okay. Guideline number two. Walk in the light. Guideline number one was to walk in love. Guideline number two is to walk in the light. This is verses 7 through 14. Listen to verse 7 through 10. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, that means to comprehend and to understand what is pleasing to the Lord. Guardrail, or excuse me, guideline number two is to walk in the light. And in this section of verses, he gives just one guardrail, one thing to watch out for. Basically, it is this. Avoid the barren, the empty works of moral darkness. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Take no part. That means do not become an accomplice. You know what an accomplice is, right? Someone who aids and abets someone who is committing a crime. You're an accomplice. Don't become an accomplice. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Those unfruitful works of darkness have to do with moral and spiritual thoughts and behavior. But instead, expose 
evil. Don't become a partaker, an accomplice in evil. Let your light, let your life be such a light, the light of Christ working in you and through you, that just your lifestyle, just your words, just your presence exposes the works of evil and the works of darkness. Listen to verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and he quotes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah here, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And listen, when Christ shines on you, he will shine through you, and you will be a light to those who are living in darkness. He tells us in other places, you are not that light, but you are a reflector of that light. That he is the light of the world. The Bible says that over and over in the book of John, especially the gospel according to John. But we should be the reflectors of that light. So we need to awake out of our sleep and arise from our spiritual death so that Christ can shine on us and be reflected through us so that we become little lights in the world, in that area where we have influence, in our family, in our work, in our schools, in our church, in our neighborhoods, that we take no part in the works, the unfruitful, the wasted works of darkness, but instead our life exposes the evil and the sin as we choose to live with Christ and not become an accomplice to those who live in the world. Walk in the light. That's a guideline. Follow it. The guardrail. Avoid the works of moral darkness. Guideline number three. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. That's what Paul says in this passage. This is verses 15 through 21. Verse 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. You know what that means? The, the Greek language here literally says, buy up every opportunity. Every opportunity that you see. Every open door that God presents to you. As you are walking in wisdom. As you are walking as wise children of God. Make the best use of time. Buy up every opportunity to speak for God, to serve Him, to live for Him. Why? Because the days are evil. Do you know the difference between wisdom and knowledge? They're not the same things. You young people are in school to gain knowledge, 
to gain knowledge. Now you get a lot of other stuff too, right? Hopefully, prayerfully, there will be good influences that will help teach you wisdom as well. But knowledge and wisdom are two different things. I read something this past week that was kind of amazing that helped me see the progress of man's knowledge. And so imagine this, if you will. The sum total of man's knowledge from the very beginning of time of recorded or written history for the thousands and thousands of years from the very beginning of time up until 1845. That's about 170 years ago. Up until 1845. If you could measure that on a line, let's say that the sum total of knowledge for all of that history is one inch on a timeline. Is one inch. Sum total of man's knowledge from the beginning of time until 1845. But from 1845 to 1945, for the next hundred years, the sum total of knowledge that was added to that would add three more inches. So in thousands of years, mankind learned that much. And then in a hundred years, he added to it that much. Okay, to 1945. From 1945 to 1975, for the next 30 years, the sum total of man's knowledge would be the height of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. That's 555 feet that man's knowledge would have increased in just 30 years. One inch in thousands of years. Three inches in a hundred years. Another 555 feet in length in just 30 years. And then it was said in 2010, that's 11 years ago. In 2010, the sum total of man's knowledge was doubling every 12 years. Hours. No wonder I cannot help my 11-year-old granddaughter in her math class. I do not understand math that does not use numbers. Is that not stupid? Let's just take a vote. If, if, if it's stupid for math to not use numbers, and you agree with that, raise your hand. God bless you old people. Increase of knowledge. It is exploding. But what does the Bible say about that? When Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, he's describing the last days, the end of time, what life is going to be like. And one of the things that he says, he said, they will always be learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Ever learning. Always learning. 
always increasing in knowledge, just not the knowledge of the truth. By the way, there's another word for knowledge of the truth, and you know what it is? It's wisdom. Wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It's not knowledge. It is knowledge according to the truth. Wisdom, my working definition of it from the book of Proverbs is this. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Seeing life from God's viewpoint. And the Bible says with all you're getting, be sure that you get wisdom. Be sure that you learn to see from God's viewpoint. He, he tells us in the book of Proverbs, get wisdom and understanding. And you know how I define understanding? I define understanding is responding the way God would have me to respond. Wisdom, seeing life from his viewpoint, understanding, doing what he would have me do in response to that. And so this third guideline, walk in wisdom. With all the things you get in life, with all the knowledge, with all the experience, with all the schooling, understand what you need more than anything else is to be able to see life from God's viewpoint. Don't be foolish. Don't be unwise. Walk in wisdom. Two guardrails. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. That is not just to be unwise, but it is to be inconsiderate, to be boastful, and to be vain. Don't be that. Just don't go there. That's on the other side of the guardrail, and it is a downward trip when you go there. Do not be foolish. And then verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk. I don't believe that's limited just to wine, by the way. I had a friend that used to say, well, I don't get drunk with wine, but I'm going to tell you what, I can really get blasted with some Jack Daniels. Well, don't get drunk. That's the whole idea. Just don't get drunk. And it's not just talking about drink or drugs here. He's talking about out-of-control, sinful indulgence. Out-of-control, sinful indulgence. When you begin to go down that road in your sin, whether it's wine, whether it's drink, whether it's sex, whether it's whatever, whatever kind of sinful, self-gratifying indulgence that you practice, understand it leads to debauchery. It ends up controlling you. You end up out of control. And instead, he says you need to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be foolish. Don't get drunk. Now, in response to both of those, don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. What is the answer? How are we to live? We are to live in the Spirit. Child of God, you are to live in the Spirit. That doesn't mean that somehow you just kind of float above the, the surface of the earth. 
more spiritual and more holy than anybody else. Just kind of drifting around, speaking holy words and blessing people. That's just obnoxious. Don't be that way either. Don't be self-righteous. Don't, don't think that it's going to keep you above all sin. Live in the Spirit. And he describes that beginning in verse 19. Live in the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus. You want to know how to live in the Spirit? Three things. He named them right there. Verse 19. I, I define it and word it like this. Sing like your life depends on it. Sing like your life depends on it. There are some people that walk into church every Sunday and the, you would think they're afraid that if they were to sing that their face would break. And it might. It might. But go ahead and break your face trying to sing to the Lord because it's sure better than what you look like staring there like a knot on a log. Sing like your life depends on it. Do you know Jesus? Has he saved you from your sins? Has he forgiven you? Has he paid the price for the wrath of God that you deserve? Has he closed off hell for you and opened up heaven for you? Then for God's sake, sing like your life depends on it. Your life ought to be a song to Jesus every single day day. Sing when you feel like it. Sing when you don't feel like it. Sing when it bothers everybody around you. Sing at the top of your lungs. Sing out of tune. Just do something with the truth of God. We are careful here at Calvary. I realize we sing some songs that you didn't know growing up. That you'd rather just go back and sing some of those old feel-good songs that basically don't say anything at all. That little prayer wheel turning in heaven when you have just a little talk with Jesus. You know what a prayer wheel is? That's something they practice in Far Eastern religions. They turn that prayer wheel, and that's how they offer their prayer to God. Why in the world do we ever sing anything like that in the Lord's church? It's an abomination. You may not like what we sing here, but there's one thing about it. It is deep theological truth. And if you have a problem with that, guess what? You got real problems. You have real problems. You want to know how to walk in the Spirit, how to live in the Spirit? Sing like your life depends on it. Make melody to the Lord with your heart. And notice this about that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we sing, we're not, some people say, well, I, I'm singing in my heart to the Lord. Well, that's fine. You're just better than the rest of us, I guess. But what does it say here? That you are to sing to people around you. 
Why? I need to hear you sing. You know why? Because it encourages my spirit and my soul. I need to hear that. And when we sing in church, we don't just sing to God. We are to sing to one another to encourage one another with these words. I've said enough about that. All right, living in the Spirit. Sing like your life depends on Give thanks for everything. Verse 20. Now, I know I've heard all my life in church, you know, you know you're not supposed to give thanks for everything. You're supposed to give thanks in every situation. That's what the Bible says in Paul's writings and other places. But here he says to give thanks always and for everything. I'm supposed to give thanks for the bad things that happened to me? Yes, you are. Because we believe and we trust the providence of God. Amen? And that in the providence of God, nothing happens to you that is not by the plan of God. Amen? And even if it's some bad thing that comes because of your sin... Well, guess what? Thank God that God didn't just let you keep going in your sin the way you were going. I remember reading one writer, one hymn writer that says, I have learned to kiss the wave that dashes me against the rock of ages. So it may be a storm of life that has come upon you and that has beat against you and knocked you against the rocks, but understand it takes the problems and the storms of life sometimes to place us in a place totally uh, in the presence of thankful for the rock of ages who is God himself. Thank God for everything. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we stay angry about circumstances. We stay angry about hurts and disappointments and pains of the past. And oftentimes we remember those painful experiences, the people that did us wrong, the people that mistreated us, the people that hurt us or our family deeply, and we stay angry about it, we stay bitter about it, and we cut off the blessing flow of God, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives because you cannot live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit when you're hanging on to unforgiveness and anger and bitterness. And some of you need to forgive yourselves you need to forgive God for what he's allowed to come against you or actually more accurately forgive yourself for holding God responsible and you need to forgive others giving thanks for everything and then the third guard or the third uh, way that we live in the spirit is verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ submit to God and to one another. You know why churches have, di have divisions and problems today? You know why the, the countryside here in the Bible Belt is littered by people who used to be faithful to the Lord, but they are not today? It's because people did not submit to God and to one another. And understand, you can't submit to God without submitting to God's people. 
in the church. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago that we had a message entitled um, uh, a, uh, an owner's manual for the church? That Ephesians, this book, is an owner's manual for the church. It's how the church has to function and work. And it can only function and work when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If I don't submit to you, and if you don't submit to me, then we are not living in submission and in reverence of Christ. When people get mad and leave the church, when people get angry, when things don't go their way in church, understand it's not just a problem they have with somebody else in the church. It's a problem they have with God. Out of reverence for Him, that I need to consider others more important than myself. Folks, this is the way we live out being the people of God in this world. We've got some guidelines. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. We've got some guardrails along the way telling us what to watch out for, what to avoid. And we have the promise from the Lord if we are willing to walk in His way and live in His way in submission to the Spirit and in submission to one another. We will have the anointing. We will have the blessing. We will have the power and the hand of God resting upon us. Amen? Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this day. I pray that we will live up to these grand words that Paul once wrote to these Ephesian believers. We are in desperate need of them today as your people and as your church in this world. And by doing this, may we reflect the light and the glory of Jesus Christ in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.